Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 22 of Aussie Talks. Got a very exciting episode planned for you guys here today, so get yourself a coffee, sit back, and enjoy. So on Wednesday night, we saw another iconic finish to a State of Origin game with Queensland coming over the top of New South Wales. Of course, Queensland were the underdogs coming into this State of Origin series and coming into this game one. And once again, the Queensland spirit for them in State of Origin has lifted them to game one success. Now, being a Victorian... There's not uh, affiliation, rather, to any one of the states. Uh, I would say I'd go with most Victorians and say that we follow Queensland just from the point that they're a bit sort of just blase, you know, typical Australian uh, up there in, in the Sunshine State, I believe, as they call themselves. Um, and while New South Wales, well, we think they're probably a bit smug and there's always that rivalry between Melbourne and Sydney. But the funny thing is that... Uh, New South Wales just find ways to lose. So Nathan Cleary put the conversion kick in with 12 minutes left to put them up 18-16, uh, and they had absolutely all the momentum. Like They were all over Queensland for that second half. Then, just to help New South Wales's case, there's a controversial sin bin in the 68th minute. So Queensland are a man down for the last 10 minutes of the game, pretty much. Then in the 73rd minute, you had some absolute Cameron Munster brilliance to create a try um, for the winger whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce, uh, but he scored an unbelievable individual try. Now, that's going to happen, you know, but there's seven minutes left. New South Wales are a man up still. You'd reckon they'd have at least an opportunity. I think they had one more set after that. Queensland then in the 76th minute, Cherry Evans put a kick up just in the air just to sort of waste some time. And big Lindsay Collins, like he looks like a big galoot, goes up, takes the ball, offloads it to Munster who walks in for a try. Now, I don't know if you've seen the footage. Go have a look. There's like six or seven New South Wales players who are just standing there watching this Collins, this six-foot-six bloke, just waltz his way, get the ball out, pick, grab the ball out of the air and offload it to Munster. Like, don't get me wrong. New South Wales, they we all love to laugh at them in, in origin. They've sucked for a long time. And growing up, you had all these incredible Queensland teams. And, you know, perhaps why we slate towards Queensland in Victoria is because we saw, you know, the likes of Cam Smith, Cooper Cronk and Billy Slater. But the fact that New South Wales were a man up for the last 10 minutes and gave up two tries and ended up losing the game uh, by multiple, multiple tries in the end was quite funny now. That's always a bit of comedy for all of us here just to laugh at New South Wales. And I've got to be honest, I reckon their coach will be lucky to last the series, uh, especially if they lose game two and therefore the series. Coming in as favourites, like with the exception of two years ago, have New South Wales actually ever come into a series as favourites and won? Like genuinely. I remember 2020, I believe it was. Apparently it was the worst Queensland team in 40 years. They came out and won. So it's a great spirit for Queensland and the Maroons and uh, they've done incredibly well well once again now a question i've got to ask is i know this sort of they have to play a neutral game somewhere but why are they playing it in adelaide i did a little bit of research before doing this segment and the loudest ever uh, the largest ever crowd for origin was at the mcg in 2015 where over 90,000 people were there uh for that neutral origin game now Where's the logic in playing in Adelaide? In Adelaide? They've got a 50,000-state stadium that I think was about 46,000 full. So it wasn't a full house. Where's the logic? 
in the bottom line for the NRL, or if there's a different commission that runs a state, a state of origin, wouldn't you want to bring in the most money? I don't think there should be a neutral game. I reckon the team that wins the previous Origin Series should have two games at home. I think it's another advantage, another incentive uh, that just adds to the Origin. But you want a neutral game, do it in Melbourne. People are going to come. You have a look at NRL games in like Adelaide. Oh, there's no NRL team in Adelaide. So why are they playing games in Adelaide? There's a team in Melbourne. They get good crowds. Like I've been to a couple of games. You actually get better crowds in Melbourne for NRL games than you do in Sydney at like Manly Stadium and all these other places. So, look, I don't understand that part, but this whole segment was basically just having a laugh at New South Wales' expense. Uh, It's always good when Queensland get up, especially when they're the underdogs. Uh, There's a bit of an Aussie spirit in them. Uh, All-time, New South Wales have 16 series wins. Queensland have 22, and barring some sort of crazy come back in this series, Queensland will extend that advantage. But a great game on Origin for Game 1 to start us off and uh, you're a man down and you score two tries in the last 10 minutes. Well done, Queensland. The ball forward. Siren! The Hawks in a big upset. They kicked the last five to come from the clouds. This segment is going to be on the AFL and just sort of having a look at how it stands uh, with it going into the first round of the buys uh, this week. So if we look at the top eight now, I don't really see a lot of changes for the rest of the season. Collingwood, look, I think they're going to win the Premiership, uh, as much as I hate to say it. Port Adelaide second, they'll probably finish top four. Brisbane third, I really like Brisbane. Melbourne, they've been hit and miss, but they'll get their stuff together. Uh, I'll touch on the Saints in a minute. The Bulldogs, again, have been hit and miss, but I reckon they'll make finals still. Uh, Adelaide, another hit and miss sort of team, but I think at the end of the day, their young talent will sort of bail them out. Essendon, who I actually like, um, are sitting in eighth at the moment. Just outside the top eight. Frio in ninth, incredibly hit and miss. Geelong, they'll get their shit together eventually. Uh, And then you've got Sydney with 20 points. uh, Sorry, Gold Coast with 20. And then Carlton uh, on 18 points, which means they are a game and a half outside the eight with percentage. And the rest of the teams really don't have a shot at making finals. If we look all the way down to the bottom of the ladder, you've got arguably the worst team I've ever seen uh, in the West Coast Eagles. And I know everyone says that during most seasons when there's a team that's rubbish, but only three times in the history of the VFL slash AFL has the team on the bottom of the ladder, which was Hawthorne two weeks ago, uh, has beaten another team by 100-plus points, and that's the Weagles, uh, a team that was consistently in finals as short as only three years ago, uh, has completely fallen off a cliff. Uh, I don't know what's happened with them. Their CEO... Uh, is stepping down at the end of next year, which means he would have been CEO for close to 25 years. So I don't know how that sort of works within an organisation. You need change, especially uh, with what's going on at the moment. Look, I know they've got a lot of injuries, but the fact is that they have conceded uh, the most points in the competition by over 120, uh, which is almost unheard of and only scored 687 points this season. They're 1-10, and 10, and honestly, I don't see them winning a game for the rest of the season. Uh, at least North Melbourne have been competitive, uh, and obviously they've had some internal issues with Clarko stepping away. But West Coast are just an absolute joke, and I can't think of a worse team uh, that I've seen 
just from piss poor effort and terrible skills. But moving back up the ladder, uh, not too far back up the ladder, but just to 13th in Carlton. Now, we look back to the end of last season. All they needed to do was win one of their last three games to make finals. They lost to a very average Adelaide side in Adelaide. They lost to Melbourne by a couple of points when Cozzy Pickett kicked a goal with about 15 seconds left. And, of course, we remember the Collingwood-Carlton game. I reckon that's the only time in history I'll ever actively barrack for Collingwood. But right now... They sit a game and percentage outside the eight with a forward line that doesn't know how to kick for goal, a midfield that gets their ass kicked most weeks, and uh, their best players are in the reserves. Paddy Dow, is he actually going to get a game? He's averaging like 35 touches in the Magoos. Surely he's good enough to be getting into a midfield which is just getting their absolute you-know-what handed to them uh, every single week by teams. And I watched the game uh, against Sydney on Friday night, and they looked competitive for the most part, but they didn't kick straight. Bad kicking is bad football. Harry Mackay is the worst player to ever win a Coleman that you will ever see, and that's no bag on him. Uh, You know, he says he's going through some mental challenges right now with his goal kicking and everything, and we obviously hope that he uh, overcomes that because he can be a good uh, snap kicker for goal. Uh, But the fact is he just doesn't have the mechanics to kick a drop punt, uh, which is just ridiculous and sort of sums up modern-day football. He can't kick. Uh, Kerno is very hit and miss. When he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's just very average. Um, But, yeah, that's been the disappointing team of the competition so far is Carlton. Uh, They've just been pretty disgraceful to be honest and look there's still time to turn it around but they're gonna need to get things fixed very quickly and when you're kicking 15 16 behinds in a game and getting blitzed at the start of games that's not going to happen um moving on now to st kilda now early in the season it looked like I would have had to delete my previous podcast episode bagging the appointment of Ross Lyon and uh, the sacking of Brett Ratton. But unfortunately, in t- typical St Kilda fashion, things have sort of flattened out from an incredible hype to the start of the season with beating the Bulldogs in round two, nearly pot, nearly uh, pipping Collingwood in one of the better comebacks uh, in the last few minutes of a game. Uh beating Frio, you know, there's some good wins in there against teams we didn't expect to beat against, beating Essendon, of course, at 150th celebration night and thinking, geez, we actually could be a chance here. Now, we currently sit fifth. We just had one of the most embarrassing losses uh, against Hawthorne where they kicked the last five goals of the game. Uh, and sort of sums it up for St Kilda. So we go into the bye at 7-4. and four. Look, at the start of the year, a lot of people were tipping us for bottom four. So if you had to told me we're fifth going into the bye, I would have taken it. Look, we're seven and four, uh, and our run home isn't too difficult. I think we've still got to play Brisbane. We've still got to play Melbourne. Uh, we play North again. We've got to play West Coast. I think we play Hawthorne again. Um, we've, yeah, there's still a few teams we've got to play that are still good. We've got to play Sydney and Sydney, where we haven't won uh, in 14 years. But... I think, unfortunately, it's a carbon copy of last season. I've said it for a while. I don't think the list is skillful enough yet uh, to play consistent finals. And I think the best that this uh, team can do this year, at least, is potentially finish seventh or eighth. Uh, And that's the optimistic view of things. Looking at the top eight, I don't think the top four changes um, for the rest of the season with Collingwood, Port Adelaide, Lions and Melbourne. Uh, But the other four spots could be very interesting. I think St Kilda are one that definitely could slip outside the eight. I think Bulldogs will make finals. Um, and then it's a mixed bag between Adelaide, Essendon, Frio, Geelong, um, all the way down to Sydney and Gold Coast. To be honest, I think Gold Coast are more of a chance of making finals than Sydney, um, but we shall see. But 
that's sort of the rundown as it currently stands. Uh, you've heard my premiership prediction right there. I think Collingwood will win the flag. Uh, I really hope that does not happen because I might have to go into hiding for three weeks uh, along with most non Collingwood supporters. The top four will not change. St Kilda, I reckon, at best will finish eighth this season. Frio will miss finals. Geelong will make it in. And, uh, well, for Carlton fans, go get your 1999 preliminary final DVDs out because that is the last time you guys were relevant and the last time you guys were actually any good. Now, moving on to some really breaking news. I actually recorded this segment earlier today, and it has just been broken in the news that four of the six families of this Indigenous uh, racism scandal uh, by the Hawthorne Football Club have come out, and the main one is Sue Rioli. Um, And they've issued a statement about two hours ago uh, in regards to what they um, their treatment was like, how they feel the AFL handled the investigation and why some of them have decided uh, to take it to the Human Rights Commission. Now, at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome and what comes of this and the truth and all that sort of stuff, the AFL has made an absolute balls up when it comes to this investigation. There's been no transparency. The journalist, I don't know who it was, but the one who leaked it during grand final week uh, has completely thrown the Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan under the mud. Um, And I am not here to say that what they allegedly uh, did was good um, in any way, shape or form. Uh, but the fact is the journalist exposed this, put a time clock on it and named uh, directly the accused individuals but did not name the families. And the fact that it's taken uh, about eight months pretty much for it to come out and say who uh, these families are who are alleging this behaviour happened at Hawthorne is an absolute joke. You know, we have a thing in Australia, innocent till proven guilty. And unfortunately, before today, or it's still going to be honest, there's been an assumption that Fagan and Clarko are guilty. And I'm here, I again must premise that it is accused at the moment. There's nothing that has been proven. It is just his word versus his word. Um, I think the next couple of days are going to be very interesting, especially with these families issuing a statement. Uh, there was always rumours that Sue Rioli was involved in this. Um, there's always that rumour going around that, that Powerball about five years ago that got left unclaimed for about six months. I think it was about $80 million. There's a rumour that Sue Rioli won that. Um, and then he would retire from football and move back uh, where his Indigenous uh, community was and he was going to take that uh, that money. But that's just a rumour there that has been circulated. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out from this. Uh, the AFL, of typical fashion, swept it under the rug and done a terrible investigation uh, that hasn't given any finding, uh, any conclusive findings either way. Uh, and the Human Rights Commission, well, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, obviously, Clarko stepped away from the North Melbourne Football Club uh, on mental health grounds, which is more than fair the way he's been treated. And to be honest, the fact that these Indigenous families have been allowed to be unnamed for eight months while Clarko and Fagan's name has been in the media is a complete joke. Um, and it's finally come out, which is good. So hopefully there's a resolution for this, but unfortunately I think there'll be, once again, uh, it's a he said versus she said, all this sort of stuff. So it's going to be very difficult to get to the bottom of this sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, so... I had a segment already recorded but had to change it with this uh, statement coming out from the Indigenous players. Uh, 
and yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But just shows the AFL any sort of investigation they do uh, is just not very good at anything, to be honest. And I think another thing that's really interesting is that the former GM of Hawthorne came out and said that one of the families is not even Indigenous. So that throws another... Uh, spark into the fire if you will on this whole issue and um, whether it's just a racism thing whether it's just treating certain individuals certain ways um, but we shall see what happens but this development I think has at least put a timeline on the public finding out what the hell actually happened at the Hawthorne Football Club between 2013 to 2018 when this alleged behaviour did occur Now, we are only a few days away from the start of a three-month period that will define uh, the Australian cricket team as it is currently uh, looked at and looked at uh, towards the future, especially for the likes of David Warner, Steve Smith, Usman Kawaja, uh, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Nathan Lyon, Josh Hazelwood, those who have been to England a couple of times and have failed to win it. And, yes, we did retain it. last time out, which was a great achievement for an underdog side led by Tim Payne. But the thing is, the expectation now is to win the Ashes in England for the first time since 2001. But before the Ashes, we've got a World Test Championship final against India. And look, I hope I come back to this and say, look, it was the right call, but I still can't believe we're not playing a warm-up match uh, in England. I know a lot of the players have been playing county cricket. Some have been playing IPL, but the fact is that we're not playing any warm-up tests. We're not playing anything like that. And uh, I've got a feeling it's going to come back to bite us because you have a look at the great Australian teams uh, who went over to England M1. Uh, those are teams that have able were playing practice matches uh, against county teams, uh, against club teams uh, before, just to get a feel for conditions uh, and all that sort of stuff. But hopefully not choosing to do one will not cause us any harm. Look, the World Test Championship, for me, doesn't have a huge meaning. Uh, I find it a bit ridiculous when people say I'd rather win the World Test Championship uh, and lose the Ashes. I just can't believe people actually saying that. The Ashes has got over 150 years of history uh, and the bragging rights over the Poms uh, is something we all as Australians enjoy when we win and when we lose, uh, it absolutely kills. Uh, That being said, I can't exactly remember 2015. That was the last time we lost and I don't... I probably wasn't old enough to enjoy or uh, not enjoy, rather, the despair of losing that Ashes series. So it's going to be very interesting. But when it is the World Test Championship against India, a team that historically has never really performed too well in England, uh, they've done okay with this current team, but historically they've never really done well in those conditions. Uh, So Australia, I think, would go in as favourites. Although, that being said, if we are challenged by this Indian team, uh, we show that we roll over very easily like we did in the second test in India where my thoughts were shared in a podcast. And same with the listeners, uh, when we got rolled in about 90 minutes, we lost all 10 wickets. So it was a pretty disgraceful performance. But we shall see what happens with the World Test Championship. I think it's a Mickey Mouse sort of thing at the moment. Uh, Call me old school, I don't care, but I don't think you need a one-off game to show who's the best team in the world, Uh, especially in England conditions. I don't understand why it's held there. I know you maybe say it's the home of cricket, uh, but the fact is it's... uh, 
it's a neutral ground that is usually going to rain, uh, especially it being England. And I don't know, it just seems a bit iffy. Like I obviously want to win it, but I just don't really care about it too much. Playing India, it's going to be very interesting. They lost the World Test Championship final a few years ago to New Zealand. Uh, So technically that means for the year of 2019, New Zealand were the best test team, which makes absolutely no sense because we actually beat them at home like 2-0 or 3-0 later that year so or earlier um, that year, which so I don't really understand the whole thing behind it and we shall see what comes of it, but I don't think you need a one-off test match to show who's best in the world. If you can win in India, if you can defend home soil, if you can win in England, if you can win in South Africa, I think that shows you the best team in the world. And there's a very exclusive club for those teams, and that's why I think the term world test champion will be thrown around too much if this competition continues. But that's in a couple of days. It's a defining moment for the legacy of this Australian cricket team. Will they be remembered as one of the great Australian teams walking away with a World Test Championship win and a winning Ashes campaign? Or will they walk away as a almost team that was great when they were on, but if they weren't 100%? just faltered under the pressure we shall we shall see and also kiss goodbye to your sleep schedules if you're an australian cricket fan over the next few months all right it is now time for jordan's big call and we're returning to a tennis big call if you can believe it All right, and my big call for episode 22 is that Novak Djokovic will win the 2023 French Open. He's won 22 career Grand Slams, currently tied with Nadal, who is probably retiring next next year. So that is my call. Djokovic will win the French Open, moving him to 23 Grand Slams in total and uh, making his resume even longer and more impressive than it is. Looking back at some previous big calls, my big call, the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championship, uh, I don't want to say as a shoe-in, but I'm uh, very confident in that one becoming true. I cannot see the Miami Heat causing much of an issue to Denver. They lost 1-0. Oh, sorry, they lost game one today, and uh, they'll be lucky to win a game, I reckon, Miami against them. So that big call looks like it might get up. Uh, but other than that, the record isn't very good. So knowing the luck, Djokovic will probably lose uh, in his game at 10.30 tonight. But that is my call. Novak Djokovic will win the French Open. All right, that is all she wrote for Aussie Talks episode 22. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. Every one of the segments today were uh, suggestions from you on my Instagram, so trying to get a bit more community engagement with that sort of stuff and having stuff that you want to hear as opposed to just talking about what I want to hear. But thank you very much for tuning in, and I will see you next time here on Aussie Talks.